Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You're joined as ever by me, Ryan McGowan, and James Kay. How are you, bud? Bonjour. Uh, I'm I'm well. I'm good. Surviving speak... in this crazy, crazy world. Do you speak any French? Uh, I just did, Ryan. Uh, um... <laughs> yes. <laughs> we. Touche. <laughs> um, yeah, there you go. That's a good start. Uh, right. Um How's your week been? Been good? Yeah, been working. It's nice to be working, nice to be socialising again. It's good to be back in the in the mix of things, just pretending that life's normal. Yeah, How yeah. How about you? All right, not bad. Um, yeah. Uh, well, do we think there's going to be another lockdown? Nah, 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 I don't think so. Nah, I'm starting to think there might not be. Ah, well, nah. never mind. I can hope for next year. <laughs> Full steam ahead. If you get it, then that's your problem. Yeah. Um... Righty, so last week we spoke about one of the most famous gangsters in history, Mr. Al Capone. Yes, we did. Fucking hell, was that a week ago? Time is a concept. About a week ago, yeah, it, it happened then. Um, and I promised that we would talk about an Australian lady called Catherine Knight. Yes. Um, now, as we said just before the episode, you've never heard of this woman, have you? No, I haven't. Quite a lot of people haven't, actually. It's like one of those, if you're into true crime, you're probably aware of her. But, um, yeah, if you're just like maybe a casual listener or, you know, just partaking it now and then, you might not have heard of her. And she's definitely worth hearing. <laughs> but not for good reasons. This is a bad episode. Remember, everyone. Okay, let's just crack on with it, shall we? Right. Let's. Catherine Knight was born October 24th, 1955, in a small town of Aberdeen. Australia, not Scotland, Australia. I know it's hard to get them two mixed up, but yeah, it's because back in colonial times, you'll see it with America as well. No one could be bothered to think up new names. No, so we just saw fuck it. Yeah, like which, which I, is New York just York but new? Probably. No, it is. is yeah, Jersey just Jersey but new? Yeah, it's just laziness, absolute laziness. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and did you know that New York before it was called New York was called New Amsterdam? No way. So, um, uh, the the Dutch Empire, I suppose, at the time, uh, had basically. I think they owned New York, and they called it New Amsterdam. And then the British colonials came in and went, "Yeah, we're having <laughs> no, this now, no, no. <laughs> and we'll not call it New Amsterdam. We'll call it after York, and we'll call it New York." <laughs> Isn't it amazing how, in terms of Britain, York just no one really gives a shit and yet in terms of america new york is like the bee's knees oh god yeah it, well it's the new one isn't it 
Yeah, it's, it's new, upgraded, to be fair. But yeah. there's like there's like a million Londons in like Canada. Yeah, and there's uh, Birmingham's everywhere. Birmingham's, there's an it's, Essex it's in America. There's a, Man- there's a Manchester. Yeah, yep, it's yep. mental. What? Yep. I don't know what the thought process there was. But Co- colonials were lazy. To do a job. Someone was just stealing the fucking paychecks, what was happening. <laughs> yeah. And like, isn't it even in like Ireland? They were like, oh, this place is called Derry. And they were like, nah, I'm going to call it London Derry. Yeah, just... <laughs> Just so people feel at home wherever they are. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, for those who don't know, Aberdeen is about three hours drive north of Sydney. So if that gives you any sort of, if you know Australia at all, any sort of geography, you might have a general idea of where that is. Or well, they have a New South Wales as well, I just thought. Yeah, we could literally go sit here all day just listing off the pure laziness of colonial. I just want to point out, this is just we're talking about Australia. Australia are quite lazy when it comes to naming things. They've literally just got like territories and they just call it southern territory and that's just the south of australia and you're like brilliant <laughs> where do you yeah, live the just, bit of it. it's just the what it does on the tin in it yeah pretty much um now when i say that aberdeen was a small town i mean it was a small town even in the 2016 census that was four years ago there were less than two thousand residents in the town that's a small town that is small town. Less than 2,000 people live in. <laughs> mm. It's um, everyone knows everyone kind of town. Yeah, everyone's got each other on Facebook. Oh, yeah, totally. Everyone's got everyone on Facebook. And they already know what they've already been doing. So there's just no point. <laughs> yeah. So Aberdeen, when Catherine was born, was a relatively newish town, having been established in 1828. You know, colonials mm-hmm. and all that. But... Even by the mid-1900s, Catherine's family were very well known by the locals as troublemakers. Um, oh dear. Yeah. We all know that family. You know, um, the ones that kick off in the streets and, you know, they don't really care who's around to hear or see it. You've definitely... The ones that... Yeah, the ones that everyone pretends they don't like, but when it kicks off, everyone's there in the front room, peeping through the curtains, like, yes. having a good old watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, at the, you're in, like... You're in that top bedroom, just peeping out the, the blinds. Yeah. And you're just like... Yeah, as they're chucking bottles at each other and then police come. Oh, yeah. My mum used to be like, Ryan, come up, come up, quick, quick, quick. And I'm like, Yeah, what? we pretend we don't love it, but we love <laughs> oh, it. Oh, yeah. We love it. Yeah, and they're like, fucking so-and-so from around the road is having a go at a boyfriend again. And you're like, all right, yeah, go on then. It's like live EastEnders. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is what, um, this is what the, uh, the knights were about in this small town of Aberdeen, right? Um, so Aberdeen, for the most part of its history, was an abattoir town, um, which is a slaughterhouse. Right. Yeah, fancy word for a slaughterhouse. Um, yeah, okay. Yep, um, with a small population. So um, Aberdeen's slaughterhouse was the biggest employer for the town, with over 600 right. residents working for for the slaughterhouse at the peak of its business power. Considering, again, Bloody there's up. like 1,500 people living in this town when she was born, and about 600 of Everyone them... Everyone also worked at Yeah, about 600 worked at the same place. Fuck, you know, you can't escape. Can oh, you? yeah. So if you didn't work at the abattoir, you were probably a miner. So that's pretty much what you had going around if you lived in Aberdeen. You're like, you're going to kill cows and sheep, or you're going to blow up rocks. That's it. Um, What's the point in school? Oh, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Do you want to know how many schools there were in Aberdeen? Probably no, one. Two. <laughs> oh, okay. Was it one private, one like public, uh, or whatever the word? No, like? just two normal schools. Just two normal. Yeah, two schools. normal schools. I bet they fucking hated each other. I bet their football matches were so. Fierce. Oh god, yeah. Our local uh, school rivalry was Beauchamp's school. They were dicks. Ooh. Beauchamp's. No one liked Beauchamp's. <laughs> Fuck Beauchamp. Yeah, is there anyone listening who went to Beauchamp's? Which I'm very, very surprised if there is. I don't like you. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, just starting some old beef. <laughs> So yeah, um, six hundred residents of Aberdeen live uh, worked in the abattoir, and of those six hundred, the Knight's family were one family of among many living there okay. and working there. So Catherine's father, Ken, Ken Knight, Mister KK, worked at the abattoir, <laughs> and like a lot of companies at the time, lived with his family in a prefab housing provided by the company. Right, you know, it's perfect walking distance to the slaughterhouse, um, that kind of thing. They're like, um, we don't want to, like, what is it? We can get away with paying you less, but we're also putting you up in a house, that kind of thing. There was a lot yeah, of companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about it with um, Bourneville Ca- in Cadbury. Yeah, Cadbury. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out um, where my mum lives uh, with her partner in Tilbury in Essex, 
that itself was like a new town essentially created by the factory in the area for local mm. workers and it's, it's a clever way of doing it oh totally it's really clever it's really interesting as well like most of them are all flat roofed houses but some yeah. of them some of them have a balcony and it turns mm. out that if you had a balcony you were management oh i bet they so you got the moved managers. yeah you got moved to the one with a balcony which is pretty I bet cool they call them like balcony pricks or something balcony wankers balcony bastards yeah so yeah um like many others uh the knight family lived in this prefab house that was provided by the company and as i say it was perfect walking distance to the slaughterhouse which means it is possible that catherine when growing up may have heard the awful noises that one would expect to hear from an abattoir and became you know potentially desensitized to it yeah once you've seen sausage being made oh yeah I mean, uh, oh, can we just go on this? I find this is... I didn't realise how um, apt this is. We're talking about someone who lived in a slaughterhouse town and mm. you informed me of your new dietary requirements. Yeah, um, I've recently cut meat out of my diet. I'm a, I was a pretty big carnivore before. Um, the aim is to go vegan. At the minute, I, I, can't, I basically am. The only thing that's holding me back is cheese. I will still have a bit of cheese every now and then because it's cheese. But it's going well. My family had a roast dinner tonight. They had roast pork and everything. I just had all like the veg and the trimmings and stuff, but I had uh, like a vegan burger with it. And I'm not going to lie, it's really nice. I feel more energised. Um, I'm not missing meat at all, and I'd highly recommend it to anyone wanting to have a go. It's worth it. Okay, uh, that was James's TED Talk on being a vegan. Yep. <laughs> now, you're growing up in essentially an abattoir town. You're possibly hearing the cries of animals being slaughtered on a daily basis. Meat is How... murder, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been it a week and I'm going to get really self-righteous very quickly. And do you know what? It's so irritating because all I want to do is just argue with it and I really like want to just just say things just for the sake of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not a religious man, as, as all of the listeners will know, but I like pulling out the whole, you know, oh, in the Bible, uh, God gave animals and made humans like their masters to do with whatever they will and if that's what you want to do eat them then you should be allowed to eat them but i'm not going to do that yeah fair enough (laughs) i'm not going to fight it no (laughs) anyway right so how normal is the rest of your childhood like to be if you're catherine knight growing up in this abattoir town hearing the murderous noises going on constantly well um yeah, violence quickly becomes just a normality, doesn't it? Really? Well, you'd think so. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one place that you don't want to be, and that is inside Catherine's home growing up. So, I know we have Australian listeners, and I hear you, I see you, I see you on the on the analytics, I look at it, so you can't hide. Now, <laughs> and what I don't want to do is tie you all with the same brush, but as cousins... Tar them. Tar them all. So, so, yeah, all right. <laughs> as cousins to us Brits... Which I think is fair to say. I don't know if you, how you feel about it. Um, I think it's fair to say that Aussies share in the drinking culture that we have, right? Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. They're uh-huh. basically just—they're basically us, just kind of more open with it. Yes. Um, yeah, I like that. Um, and like some of us, you guys can drink, like seriously drink. <laughs> yeah. And what does a hardy, red-blooded Australian do after a long day at work? We head to the pub for a few Beveraginos, does he not? Yep, yep, absolutely. We've now, all been there. We all exactly, love it. exactly, and exactly like Catherine's dad, Ken would do some. Except, um, you did not want to be in the house when he was. See, Catherine's parents had a horrendously abusive relationship that was not hidden from the kids at all. Her dad would frequently chase down her mother and beat her before raping her often in, f- in the full view of the kids, sometimes up to ten times a day. It's one of them sentences that I don't really know how to respond to. Oh, good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I think we'll just let it hang. So, yeah. naturally, this is not the best environment to be raising children. And according to no. Catherine, the abuse was not exclusive to the mother. So, although Catherine says her father never touched her, she does make claims that other family members, including brothers, abused her as a child, allegedly, right? A lot of them say, no, it's not true, but she 
swears blind it is. Now, there's, like I said, there's no way to corroborate these claims, but psychologists that have worked with her have found no reason to doubt her. So make of that what you will. Yeah. So what about schooling? Hmm? <laughs> you did mention this. Surely this was a safe haven. And now, as I mentioned, there are only two schools in Aberdeen for all the kids, and it does seem that children would be taught enough that they could get a job in the abattoir or the mining industry, right? Now, Catherine seems to have been the class bully, often having violent outbursts towards her fellow students, which doesn't help, obviously, with the family home. Uh, and on one occasion, she even uh, unleashed herself at the teachers, who then had a go back at her, and then right. were like, oh, it was self-defence. Um, never mind. It's like, no, but you did just strike a child. Yeah, you, that's, that's a no-no. Yeah, but it was different times, wasn't it? It was like 70s. Yeah, nowadays it's a no-no because of the law, but sometimes you do just want to fucking hit a kid, don't you? Oh, kids, look, we mentioned it I think, last week. Kids are so fucking, they think they're so smart, they're irritating. A swift backhand would solve a lot of problems. Did you ever get, um, well, I don't know, I suppose, at the risk of uh, incriminating our parents, I'll not... I'll not ask for details, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh, no, they they didn't have they didn't. I was never. Well, I don't want to say beaten because wrong, but like like smack bottom and all that kind of shit. That I never got that. I never got physically reprimanded. Oh, interesting. Okay. Anyway, but mine was always just. Obviously, fair, I was a good little. I was a good kid, but most of the time it was just go to your room or grounded or whatever. This the standard. Mm, yeah. Now. When she wasn't kicking off, she was noted to be a pleasant student who would listen, but she was not academically gifted in any way, shape or form. In fact, she was unable to read and write even at the age of 15 when she left school. Right, okay, that's that's bad. Yeah, that is bad. What was the point of going to school? <laughs> what did yeah, you do? Reading and writing is literally the basic <laughs> you should be able to do. How do you do like the equivalent of basically a decade at school without reading and writing? Yeah. I don't know how she managed to do it, but she did it. Now, when she was 16, she followed in the family tradition and gained employment in the abattoir, first working in the offal room, dealing with the guts, the heads, the hooves, etc., before being promoted to boning, slicing up the carcasses like a butcher, and was given her own set of butcher's knives, which she treated like her own children, giving them pride and place, hanging over her bed on the wall. That seems healthy. Yeah, it's a great place to put your knives. Yeah. So I just stare at them as I fall asleep. Sweet dreams. Now, the skill she would learn, skinning and cutting up animal carcasses, seems to be very transferable to humans as well, which we'll get on to later. (laughs) Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. (laughs) Now, Catherine was more than happy with her, quote, dream job. Like, that is your aspirations. Like, no offence to those who, you know, if you're a butcher or if you work in an abattoir or a slaughterhouse, like, it has, it's a job that has to be done, although arguably, as James might put it, no, it doesn't have to be done anymore kind of thing. Um, but <laughs> I'm just going to use this to attack you. <laughs> um, it's all right. I've, I know my moral compass is bigger, so it's fine. Oh. <laughs> That'll keep me warm at night. <laughs> oh, God. Um so it's a job that has to be done, and for those that do it, fair dues to you. Like I think I said to you, James, like uh, the other day when you told me you've now gone fussy eater. Um, uh, if someone was to have set me in the restaurant and go, look, here's the cow. You have to k- kill it, cut it, and then you can have it. I probably wouldn't yeah. have it. Uh, That's the thing. If you can't kill it yourself. Don't expect others. Yeah, to yeah. It, it it it's hypocritical. I do understand that. Um, but. I don't know many children whose aspirations are to be a, you know, someone working in a an but- abattoir. A butcher I can kind of get, but an abattoir, no. Uh, no, I've never. I think that's one of them jobs that you kind of just fall into. Yeah, but for her it was a dream job. And it was in her dream job where she would also find love. This is also a story about love. Suddenly it's turned into the weirdest rom-com of all time. Hasn't it just? It's like Deadpool in a way. <laughs> Yeah, but I imagine that pitching that's like Paramount, right? We're gonna do a rom com, but we're gonna set it in a in an abattoir. Yeah, yeah. And the the lead protagonist is gonna have knives on her bedroom wall, mm-hmm. and amongst the viscera and blood and guts, she will just sort of rub her eyes and see some bloody man, and and everyone will be able to relate, and it will be a box office hit. Hundred percent. So she met and became very pally with a co-worker called David Kellett, 
Now, he was a heavy drinker who had seen a fair few tragic events, such as his friend being crushed by a train, and another train, oh, yeah, and another train crashing into a school bus, which also killed six children. Did he just hang around fucking train tracks? <laughs> yeah, he did. He worked in a train track. <laughs> he right. just not hangs around trains. Um, now, it's it's thought that these experiences are the cause of his alcoholic and violent tendencies, right? He's just lashing out. I mean, that's understandable. Yeah. Um, now, he would get into fights at the pub, and Catherine would get involved, helping him out, fighting bare knuckle. Now, maybe... Bloody hell. Yeah. And she didn't fight women. She only exclusively fought men. Fucking she... hell. She's one of those women that you just absolutely terrified oh. of. To be fair, I'm terrified of a lot of them. Brilliant. This one in particular. <laughs> yeah. um, now, maybe it was her rampant rage when fighting that turned him on to her, but they married in 1974 when Catherine was 19... And boy, was the wedding a night to remember. I bet the uh, dinner was very meat-heavy. Yeah, I imagine there was quite a lot of barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, David had been drinking heavily for days leading up to the wedding. You know, he's celebrating. And on the day itself, mm. he was driven to the ceremony by Catherine on her motorbike. Now, David, re- okay. yeah, David recalls one thing his soon-to-be mother-in-law said to him on the day. Quote, the old girl said to me to watch out. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw somewhere. She's got a screw loose somewhere. This was <laughs> David's mother-in-law. That's just like little girly things, isn't it? Like little whisperings in the ear, isn't it? Like little cute, cute little things. Yeah, it's not like I'm gonna kill you. Yeah, it's it's not like um, oh, be aware, like you know, she can be a bit fussy sometimes with like the way she washes up, or I don't know, something like silly like that. It's like no, she'll fucking kill you if you like cheat on. <laughs> yeah, she will literally murder you. Jesus Christ! But then the thing is, at that point, you're like, well, this is my life now. I can never do anything outside of this relationship because I will die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. Also, I must say, I'm hesitating to do the Australian accent. It's <laughs> oh yeah, we said we we're going to do this Thai accent, uh, this episode in Australian accents, weren't we? What a letdown! <laughs> yeah, we did. Fuck. Yeah, um, I'm not going to do it just because I don't want to upset anyone. <laughs> I don't know what you want about Ryan. Well, I think we should go for it. All right, shall I do that? Shall I say the quote again? But I'll do. <laughs> yeah, do the quote again, but do it in an Australian accent. Uh, all right then. Uh, the old girl said to me to watch out. You better watch this one, or she'll fucking kill you. Stir up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing her up. She'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. There's something about the Australian accent that just makes everything sound like a bit of a joke. Do you know what it is? I think that's how like he managed to just stay in an abusive relationship and even at the wedding was like, ah, fuck it. Because just doing the accent makes you think, ah, fuck it. You don't take it seriously, do you? Like, at all? No, just... It's like... Everything's fine when you just do the accent. That's the thing. An Australian person can literally tell you, like, you like in this case, you're literally about to die, and you're like, oh, cool. No worries. You know what? Why not? <laughs> but that didn't freak out David, even up to the, should anyone have any reason why these two should not be wedded, speak now or forever hold your peace, David went through with it. <laughs> even at that point, it's like, oh, she's a bit, you know, this is definitely an abusive relationship, but fuck it. I would have been out of that door... So quickly. Dude, I wouldn't have even gone in the door to get to that point. I would just get out. I mean, I wouldn't have been in the abattoir to meet a Ryan, but that's just Good point. Um, so, yeah, David went through with it. Maybe the wedding night will be better, right? It's essential moment, right? You're now, you're yeah. now one. You're about to share your life with one another. It's an exciting time. Well, Catherine and David, they were at it like rabbits that night. And who wouldn't be on your wedding night, huh? I bet she, like, no, in fact, no, come on. <laughs> now, before the sun would rise, they'd have sex three times before David conked out from all the drink that he'd been celebrating with, which is not bad I for bet, one night. I'm going to say it. I bet she's a fucking psychopath in bed, but, like, kind of, like, blow your mind, wow, psychopath, and then she'll kill you. Uh, now, past boyfriends that she's had have said that she is quite, there's something about her. <laughs> Is what the... We've all been there. The cra- the craziest relationships you've ever had with the craziest people, the sex is always the best. I'm sorry, it is. <laughs> Mom, if you listen to this, apologise, turn off now. But 
It's fact. It's straight fact. But yeah, three times a night for David is not too bad, eh? Considering he's he's like almost blackout drunk. I mean, three times for anyone's a fucking good exactly. Go. It's usually just roll, just lose it once, roll over, go exactly. to sleep. Exactly. Now and that's why I'm not in a relationship. <laughs> now, while David lay there sleeping, Catherine was sat bolt upright, arms crossed, and she was pissed. Not drunk. Falling asleep. She was angry. She was not happy with having had sex three times. Now, she more. She wanted more. And do you know why? She knew how many times her mother and father had had sex on their wedding night. In fact, she woke up David by strangling him, screaming, Mum and Dad did it ten times. Over and over <laughs> and over. Fucking Australian accent. Um... <laughs> that threw you off, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Imagine being woken up on your wedding night, having had sex three times, right? Being woken up, being strangled by your new wife, going, "Mum and Dad did it ten times." I'd like, I, I don't like one. What? How do you know this information? Exactly. Two, it's very irrelevant to to me because I'm fast asleep. Please leave me alone. Stop choking me. Yeah. So that's a great, weird, weird night. But the relationship, like the rest of her relationships to come in the future, were abusive from both sides, with slagging matches and violence common. Now, while pregnant with their first child, David came home late from the pub. Furious with her oh. new husband, she cracked him round the head with an iron frying pan. And David stumbled out of the house, collapsed at his neighbour's front door, and how was treated for a fractured skull. Bloody hell. Yeah, actually... That's like a fucking rational reaction. Yeah, exactly. She was pissed that he'd come home from the pub and she just smacked him around the head. Enough that she cracked his skull. That's like... That could be brain damage. She could really fuck him up. Yeah. Now, the reason he didn't press charges is because she became all nice. Um, and this is where I'm saying, like, you know, past lovers have been like, oh, there's just something about Catherine. Apparently she was very good at apologising on her knees. Right. And that that is... Um, Isn't that like the story of a lot of domestic violence relationships? Like, they're very good. At, they're very manipulative. They make you feel like they're really sorry, but they're not. It's oh, it's bullshit. always a mistake. Yeah, it's always a mistake. Like, I'm really, really sorry. And then, for, for the, as far as I'm aware, like, I'm not an expert in this, but as far as I'm aware, a lot of it is you made me do this. I didn't want to do that. Mm, yeah. But yeah. Um. So yeah, fed up with all the abuse between the two, David left Catherine not long after their daughter was born. For another woman. And they ran off to Queensland. Bloody hell. Good for him. Um, yeah. Now, I can understand being angry at your husband walking out on you for another woman. Particularly um, if you've got a newborn with you. Yeah, but then but then there's two sides to this story, isn't there? She cracked him on the fucking head with frying pan. Yep. Mm. Yeah, no, completely, so, I completely agree. Um, <laughs> but what Catherine does is a bit extreme. Right when she finds out that he's gone walkabouts, she walked the. Is back... that why walkabouts in Australian bar? Sorry, go. What? You said she's gone walkabout. Is that why Australian? The Australian bar is walkabout. An Australian bar is called walkabout. You know walkabout. We have walkabouts all over England. Do we? You've never been to a walkabout. Is a walkabout a bar? It's like a bar or a nightclub. It's like you've never been to walkabout. I've never heard of it. <laughs> I can't believe you. Every town's got a walkabout. What the fuck? Why have we never heard of this? Mate, everyone's got a walkabout. Right, you'll see one now. They're everywhere. I'm go- yeah, I'm going to see it everywhere I go now. Why have I never seen a walkabout? Yeah. I've never heard of it. Okay. Oh, it's a shit night out. Don't go, but there exists. Shit night out. Okay, all right. I'll make sure I'm not to go then. Yeah. So, right, okay. Now, Catherine, uh, as I said, is a, a, a retaliation for her husband walking out on her with a newborn. She walked the baby in its pram downtown, violently throwing the pram from side to side, like obviously making the baby very uncomfortable. Um, but But... It gets worse. She apprehended and diagnosed... Well, yeah. She got apprehended and was diagnosed with postnatal depression and spent a few weeks recovering. But when she was Mm. back out, she would take the baby, again, to the train tracks and simply left... Yeah, simply left the baby on the train tracks and off, knowing that there is a train due any minute. Right, okay, fuck. Like... I'm sorry, I'm sorry your husband walked out on you, but that's not a rational response. No, absolutely not. 
don't take it out on the child. Go and kill him like you said you would. Exactly. Now, luckily, a local forager, which if you live in a town, just means you must be homeless. I don't know. Um, <laughs> a local forager found the baby and you know rescued it. Um, and Catherine was arrested and sent to a hospital where she would spend the night and then for some reason discharged herself the next day because everything's fine. Anyway, right, okay. it keeps going. A few days later, Catherine decided that the town needed to pay for producing the woman that David ran off with and with the local mechanic because he fixed the truck that helped them leave. Again, this is this is all rational thinking. Yeah, okay. They're like, the Aberdeen town produced this woman, the bitch that he ran off with, and therefore the town has to pay, and also that mechanic fixed his car, therefore it's his fault as well. Not David, not the woman, it's everyone else's fault. Weird. She needs psychiatric help quick. Oh, doesn't she just? Now, she kidnapped a girl who she worked with, along with the girl's mother and sons, and then had her in a truck held at knife point, and told them to drive her to Queensland, where David was. Now, the the family drove her as far as a service station after saying that they needed petrol, which is a smart move, right? That is smart. Mm -hmm. And while there, the family escaped and locked themselves away in a room. Catherine chased them and was trying to batter the door down until the police were called and tried to subdue her with brooms. Um, Is that just not what Australian police have? brooms apparently yeah we've got like truncheons and tasers and at that time fucking assault rifles brilliant america has like a paramilitary organization (laughs) and the australian aberdeen yeah they've got broomsticks clearly they flew them to the scene yeah i think they need to upgrade their uh their armory a little bit (laughs) i think you might be right but yeah they apprehended her with brooms in hand before Catherine just passed out from rage i'm not even joking her body just gave out she was or maybe she like uh, was raging so hard, she, like hyperventilated or something, and just yeah. lack of oxygen to the brain. That's exactly it. Yeah, her body just just keeled over, and that was it. And then mm. she was arrested and put into a mental hospital. Now, for reasons unknown, um, I suppose it kind of makes sense. David had been made aware of the incident, her now estranged husband, um, and feeling bad, thinking you know, oh, this is all my fault. He decided to leave the woman and come back to Aberdeen to live with his mother and whilst doing that, look after Catherine when she was released. Which right. is a bit weird. Like, I'm not being funny. I'd be like, well, thank fuck I got away from that. Why would you come back? Um, This the whole story is just... It's crazy, isn't it? Fascinating. Yeah. Um, she is a very interesting character. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> now, they got back together for a while and moved around. Catherine got another job in a meat factory and had another daughter together, but it wasn't to last. Catherine left David and headed back to Aberdeen on her own with the children, and she claimed a disability benefit pension when she managed to grab herself a bad back injury. So that was her now out of work, living at home, kind of bored. Fucking whirlwind of a relationship here. Um, yeah. Surely you'd stay single for a while after that, right? Uh, Yeah, you do you for a little bit. You know, fall back in love with yourself, exactly. find some hobbies. Yeah, fall back in love with yourself. Um, But yeah, she doesn't do that. Two years later, <laughs> Catherine met a man called David Saunders. She has a thing for like finding guys with the same name. Yeah. But then to be fair, I don't know if this is like an Australian thing. Like, do you know how like there's there's like names that are common and things like that? Maybe David is just a common name. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it, uh, to be fair, it's always been a common name, isn't it? And maybe in Australia, in that town, it's is just, Kevin. Maybe people name each other after their fathers or something. Is Kevin know. genuinely like a common Australian name, or is that just racist? Oh, mate, I have no idea. I've never met. Have I ever met Kevin? Yeah, I've met Kevin. Yeah, I know. There's one of them that you occasionally meet them, but you just, you don't know many Kevins. Yeah, I think we've mentioned before like weird names. Like my dad's name's Keith. It's just weird. Yeah, that's a proper like man's like, name, Keith. I'm Keith. It's an old man's name, isn't it? Like, can you imagine when he was five, like Keith. Yeah, it's like having like a <laughs> maybe like someone called um. What? Let's think of another one like Philip, like Margaret. baby Philip. Yeah, and Irene. Like, yeah. there's just some names <laughs> that are just gonna die. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, um, yeah. Catherine met a new David, David Saunders. Um, they moved in pretty quickly. Um, and typical of Catherine's other relationships, it was abusive and it was violent, often throwing him out and then begging him to return. Once again, she attacked him with a frying pan, <laughs> knocking him out unconscious. She needs a fucking new kitchenware. Just give her like sponge frying pans or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's got to stop making them fried eggs. <laughs> um... Now, she would go on to have a child with this man as well. So she's now got three kids. And, uh, you know, in a show of affection, she stabbed him in the gut with a pair of scissors in a fight. Normal. Okay. Nothing surprised me with her anymore. Totally normal. And surprisingly, Saunders would leave Catherine and go into hiding to get away from her. Yeah. Um, Fair play. Fair dues, mate. Now, obviously, he he has a daughter with this woman now. He's got a kid. He's He's locked in. And when he eventually returned to see his daughter, Catherine had been to the police and told him that she was afraid of him, which naturally the police were then like, okay, we need to keep this man away from her. So, yeah, she won. She won that round. Now, months later, she would meet a man called John Chillingworth in 1990. He was an ex-co-worker of hers at the slaughterhouse. Uh, A year later, she would have another child and the cycle of abuse would continue, which lasted for three years before she left him for another man that she'd been having an affair with. See, she'd been going to the pub. Bear in mind, she doesn't drink, right? Mm. Catherine Knight is totally sober at this point. She doesn't drink yet. Um, But she was about to start drinking in the pub because she met another man called John Price. And John Price is the main subject of this episode here. All right? So... Catherine met father of three, John Charles Thomas Price, or Pricey to his mates. Now, by all accounts, Pricey was known to be a terrific guy who was friendly with everyone. Uh, He was known to take the piss out of you, but if he did, it meant that he liked you, that kind of, you know, he's only messing, it means he likes you, that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Now, John Price was a miner in the town and was making some seriously good money. Like, we're talking six-figure salary here. And he spent the best part of 20 years building up this career. Now, like other hard-working Aussies in the area, he worked hard and he played harder. He was a seriously heavy drinker and it was said he could drink for Australia. But like I mean, says that's that, surely they? a fucking statement because Aussies drink just the normal ones. Yeah, yeah, there's like beer for breakfast, silly like that, I don't know. Yeah, apparently they don't actually drink Fosters, they think Fosters is shite, it's just marketed here as like the Australian drink, from what I'm Oh, that's a good, that's a good call though. Yeah, Fosters, good call. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, Fosters is um, one of those generic, you know like we have Stella? Yeah. Fosters is probably like their Stella. Well, like, no one actually drinks Stella. I mean, you say that, you do... but the people we used to work with, like, uh, just I won't name names on the podcast, but people, it's not like it's a bad thing, but they used to drink Stella. Stella was their go-to beer, which I respect. Oh, God. But it's weird, because there's, like, there's, like, there's two types of Stella drinker. There's, like, drinks it from the can at home Stella drinker, and then there's Stella in those fancy glasses in a pub drinker. Yeah, that they were fancy drinkers. But then we would have a can, I don't know, like, I can't drink, I don't drink Stella just... I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. I, I like beer, but if there's like... Co- I had this conversation at work the other day, actually. I will always opt for a colourful cocktail because I don't care what I look like on a night out. I'm fully aware that the cocktails are nicer and more alcohol content. 
So yes. if you're a bloke, stop trying to prove something by buying fucking beer. If you don't yes. like it, just stop trying to prove No one fucking gives a shit. If you want a strawberry daiquiri, I will have so much more respect for you. Just fucking order it. So what if it's sparkly and it's got an umbrella in it? Enjoy it. Do you know what? This this is a voice that needs to be heard more often, James. You need to shout this from the rooftops. This is our rant it's of the week. It's a, it, it, this will be our rant for the week. Yeah, we get one nearly every week. If you are a man and you don't drink beer, that's absolutely fucking fine. If yeah. you want a pink daiquiri or a mojito or a sex on the beat, you fucking have one, man. You like a porn star martini? You fucking have a porn star martini. You want a gin? You have a gin. Yeah. If you like I, a little spirit? Have a spirit. I exclusively don't have drink to gin drink now. beer just because you're a man. Like if I'm sitting there, you know, with the big gin glasses with like all the ice and everything, I'll sit there and I'll oh, yeah. enjoy it. And everyone will be like, oh, you're weird. But, but yeah, but my drink tastes better than yours. So exactly, it tastes better than yours. It doesn't bloat me like fuck, and it yeah, yeah right, it's a wee bit more expensive, but it, it's fun, and I yeah. like holding the big fucking goldfish bowl of a glass in my hand. It makes me feel like a villain in a film. Exactly, I like it. Fuck toxic masculinity. I, I'll drink beer if it's there, but if there's other nicer things on offer, I'll always opt for it because I don't. Who care. knew that? Who knew that we'd be fighting toxic masculinity in this episode? I know. Yeah, mental. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Now it was at a bar or a club where he met the mid-40s Catherine, and they absolutely just hit it off. Now, John was aware of Catherine's violent past. Remember, she's a knight living in Aberdeen, like everyone knows them. Yeah. Um, but Catherine, who's now in her 40s, uh, after meeting John, started drinking and seems to have just become a bit more of a fun version of herself, like this self that, you know, we'd not really seen before. You know, that whole joke, like, oh, I remember my first beer, that kind of, like, oh, she seems a bit fun now. Um. So yeah, they just seem to really start hitting it off. And John even had a little pet nickname for her. <laughs> it seems... Um, uh, do you want to know the pet nickname? Because it's fucking weird. Yeah, go on then. Uh, it, uh, maybe... maybe it, right, it's definitely just Speckled Hen. The, the nickname for her... He, the pet nickname he had for her was Speckled Hen. But when I found it out, it was Speckled Fucking Hen. It just like, adds a little fucking, something, doesn't it? Adds a little something, doesn't it? Which makes me think maybe he'd like say that when he's drunk. He's like, oh, "Come here, speckled fucking hen." Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it seems that the come down from drinking made her more violent, which I can kind of understand if you've never had a hangover before, and now out of nowhere you've got a violent headache, you're feeling sick, and then someone's oh, just in your fucking ear roll. They're really, really mm. they're not nice. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so yeah. Um, now I've, I've I've told us that you know John was aware of Catherine's violent past. He was also warned by his friends to stay away. Even his own children didn't like her and thought she was crazy, but he still went with it, which is kind of that bit I was mentioning earlier. That bit about Catherine everyone kind of likes. It's kind yeah. of the sex part of it all for some reason yeah, it seems. I, I imagine. Yeah. Um now there's nothing normal about this relationship at all i'm not kidding you there's nothing right here this just doesn't work on any level but to Catherine, it was right she's used to that abusive relationship she's used to the violence she's used to all that sort of shit um but to Catherine, uh, she was starting to get agitated the reason why john wasn't asking her to marry him like all the others have mm. and this was kind of confusing her because that's like it's not how it works um now probably the reason why is that John, well, the relationship is fucked anyway, but more likely John was still hung up on his ex-wife who he divorced relatively recently in 1988 and he wasn't looking to remarry anytime soon, but that was not going to stop Kath. Mm. Um, <laughs> I found this so funny when I read it. Um, she stole some money from John and went and just bought herself an engagement ring to force the subject... <laughs> Can you imagine like that happening? That'd be to be fair. Like, if you didn't feel ready to marry someone and they were like looking around engagement rings or bought themselves one, that I'd be like, mm, steady on. Yeah. Um. So yeah, when she told John, like, because bear in mind she's come home and she's gone, oh, oh, look what I managed to buy here, and he's like, oh god, what have you bought this time? She's like, oh, just a little engagement ring. And he's like, but, that, oh, but the thing sake. is, the thing is, ladies, it's 2020. If you want to ask a bloke to marry you, like you can. That's a, that's a thing now. Oh, yeah, totally. If it had been a leap year, she'd have already asked him. Mm. Um, but yeah, when she told John, uh, he said that he was happy with her, but it's just not happening. 
Like, it's not happening. Uh, but that didn't stop her. She tried a couple more times to get him to agree, but he was just having none of it and, you know, too right. <laughs> so mm. what does a normal person do when they've been rejected for marriage? Well, uh, watch a notebook, get some Ben and Jerry's and just have yep. a little cry. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're, you know, uh, you're in a good relationship and you've got good communication skills, you might be able to say, look, I ain't ready. I like you. I want to be with you, but maybe just it's not the right time. I need time to like, you know, get used to the idea. Something like that. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Or you get your significant other fired from their rather highly paid job. That's yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's another avenue you could explore for sure. Yeah. Now, remember, I said John was a miner and was making money. He was a hard worker. And on one occasion, John had bin dive for some old, out-of-date medical kits from work. You know, um, these are going out of date. They literally, he literally had to root them out of rubbish because the company didn't need them anymore and was throwing them out. It's not like they're going to miss them, all right? Now, there's going to be some handy bits in there for sure. But technically, you know, company policy, this is wrong. You you shouldn't be doing this, right? And Now, the bit that's worse is that Catherine videotaped the medical kits in John's home and then sent the video to his boss, who in turn had to fire him for theft of company property. Right. This is all because he just wouldn't marry her. Yeah, it's not very rational, is it? I mean, it doesn't surprise me anymore because everything she has done is just fucking batshit. Oh, crazy, yeah. Now, naturally, uh, John was pissed and threw her out, but it didn't last long. A few months later, he took her back. We don't know right. why, but all his friends told him, if you take her back, you can find somewhere else to drink. <laughs> so he did. Yeah, that's a big thing. Like, if you're in a small town and like you have a pub and the pub is like the focal point of the town, everyone goes to that pub yeah. and then out of nowhere, all your mates are like, listen, mate, we love you. You should not be with this woman if you if you are insistent on staying with her, go find yourself another fucking pub because we don't want to know you unless that's the case. Like that's big, man. And he did. He was like, "Right, oh, fine, fuck you, then I'll do it." He found he himself a different pub. Hose over bros. He chose hose over bros. Yes, he did. <laughs> but apparently, this hose just got you know the magical whap. Fucking hell. <laughs> We've descended, have we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he went to another bar to avoid all the ridicule. They were concerned something would happen to him, he or all his friends, and they hoped that rejecting him would make him leave her, but of course that didn't happen. The violence would continue and get gradually worse. John had refused to allow Catherine to move in with him again, mainly because he intended to leave the house for the kids, but because it was the house he had bought for his ex-wife. Good fucking call. Mm. In another argument, Kath stabbed John in needing medical care, and John demanded that she leave his house, but she refused, telling him there are only two ways that she would leave this house. One, pay me $10,000, or two, right. give me the house. Like, Fuck. rational. Right. She's fucking mental. But, you know, stupid and obviously, he wasn't having it, right? Um, now, on hmm, on February 29th, in the year 2000, John went to the local courthouse and demanded a restraining order to get her out of his house for final. Understandable. Fair play, John. Yep. But was told that it wouldn't happen today. It's more likely to take a couple of weeks to get it sorted. Now, right. stuck on what to do, his friends told him not to go home. Like, do not go home. Yeah, like, offer him a sofa or something. Yes. But he thought he had no choice. See, he didn't want to give her his home, but he also knew that Catherine and his kids did not get on. And he was afraid yeah. that if he didn't go home, she has no one else to take it out on, she might take it out on them. Mm. So John went back home. But before he made it home, he finally met up with his friends and he told them that if he didn't show up to work the next day, he was dead. Now, when John arrived home, Catherine was gone. So he went to a neighbor's house for a few bevs before heading back home at 11pm and fell asleep. Meanwhile, Catherine was with her family, videotaping the kids and the grandkids in what seems to have been some kind of weird will. She also bought some secondhand thrifty black lingerie 
and packed her beloved knives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she then headed over to John's about 11.30 while he was still asleep. She entered the house. Mm-hmm. She watched some TV in the living room for a bit. Then she took a shower and slipped into her new secondhand lingerie. Right. She woke up John and surprised him with sex, which, sorry, I don't care who you are, but if I live alone and someone randomly wakes me up and tries it on, I'm freaking out for like a solid five minutes before I know exactly who it is. I don't care who you are. Yeah. If you start touching me up and I'm like, what the fuck, get out. (laughs) Yeah, especially when you're like half Yeah, exactly. Now, after sex, John went back to sleep. Now, Catherine pulled out her knives and stabbed John in the chest. In a blind panic and filled with adrenaline, John shot up and tried to get out of the room through the hallway, clawing for the light switch on the wall. All the while, he's being stabbed by Catherine in the back. Now, he, he managed to get to the front door, covered in blood and knife wounds. He opened the door, tried to get out, but Catherine pulled him back inside and shut the door. John was now on the floor and could only watch as Catherine came towards him one last time, stabbing him over and over and over. By the time that John Price was dead, he'd been stabbed 37 times. Overkill. Totally. After the killing, Catherine took a shower. She got changed, took John's wallet and drew out $1,000 from an ATM. We don't know why, because the money never shows up. Like, the family are like, we didn't we didn't see it, we didn't get it, we we don't know where that's gone, and Catherine herself was like, Nope, don't know why. <laughs> now after this, Catherine returned home to John Price's house. Now this now about an hour after this horrific slaying, right? So to say like oh it was in an in the moment thing doesn't fly when it's like an hour after the fucking killing. So back at back yeah. at home, Catherine stripped naked, set up her knives in the living room and dragged John's lifeless body to the knives. There she grabbed her carving knife, made a cut along the shoulders, down the arms, down the torso to the pubic hairs, around the genitals and down the legs and managed to skin the body of John Price in one piece and hung it from a couple of hooks hanging in the doorway to the kitchen from the living room. Right. I love that response. Just right. <laughs> I just, I'm, I've lost for words for this woman at the minute. She continues to do things. Mm. Yeah. Now, the police said that the face was still recognisable as it hung from the hooks. Right, okay. Mm. But she wasn't done there. She de- uh, Right. Mm-hmm. She decapitated the body cutting through the muscle and the neck and placed it in a boiling pot and added water and a few spices and let it boil. Catherine then went back to the body, sliced off parts of the rump or the butt and cooked it in the oven. She sliced up vegetables and she made a gravy. Vegetables, gravy and the meat of John Price was served on two plates with a note above each one. The note had the names of John's two children on each one. Can you repeat that, please? Yeah. Catherine Knight had cooked up and served vegetables, gravy, and the meat of John Price on two plates. Mm-hmm. And above the two plates were notes, and on each note was the name of John's children. As if she has prepared this meal for them to eat. That is so Mm. fucked. Like, have you ever seen Titus Andronicus? Or the Reddit, like Shakespeare play? Yeah, where he cooks um, what's-the-face's kids and chops them up and feeds them to in a pie. Like, that's kind of, that got that vibe to it. That's mess. Are you going to go on to tell me that the kids eat it? No. Uh, luckily, oh, that, that's not a thing. <laughs> Although it seems there was right. a third dish prepared, but when there's then thrown away and it's hinted that maybe she tried it and didn't like it and threw it, or it was thrown out into the garden for the dogs to eat. 
fucking it's bloody working at the abattoirs done this in a minute and I'm not done there (laughs) finally she picked up John Price's skinned and mutilated body and placed it in a chair crossed the legs and placed an arm on a bottle of drink where she left him after this she tried to overdose on pills and went to bed in a half-assed suicide attempt this whole event took hours by 6 a.m in the morning john's neighbor looked out the window and noticed that his truck was still there which was very out of character for john as he was always out for work by the time that his neighbor woke up concerned the neighbor went to the door knocked to see if everything was all right but noticed that there was a bloody door handle without even questioning it he rang the police and found the uh, who found the horrific scene one police officer recalls walking into the house and seeing a curtain, which of course turned out to be the skin of John Price. Bloody Several Norman. other officers later quit their jobs, so scarred by what they had saw. In f- yeah, mm-hmm. no shit. Fucking, you'd be waking up in cold sweats mm-hmm. after that. In fact, um, uh, the judge who uh, resided over her case said that he couldn't eat meat for three months after this. Um, I mean, why not just not eat it forever, Judge? But no. Um, yeah, no, yeah, no, no wonder. <laughs> You've seen fucking someone served up on a plate and skinned and put mm-hmm. on d- door handles and such things. Yep. Um, now, the police then found Catherine sparked out on the bed. Now, remember, uh, this whole event took the whole night, so by the time she overdosed on her pills, it's obviously not taken any really effect because they were there by, like, 7 in the morning. So she's literally been asleep for, like, uh, an hour. Um, so she's not died yet. Um, so she was just sparked out on the bed. She was still alive. Um, her suicide attempt was botched. She was immediately arrested, uh, claimed not to remember a thing, when on trial, Catherine pleaded not guilty. I don't yeah, get okay. that. Uh, the defense, the defense was trying to play on the amnesia of the whole event because she's like swears blind; she doesn't remember any of it. So they're like, "Oh, she was just blacked out; doesn't remember what she did." Um, and jurors of the case were also given the option to bail out on this case due to the nature of the killing, which some of them did. They were like, "This is going to be brutal. Like, if you don't want to do it." That's totally fine. And I think like five of them dropped out out of like a pool of 60. And then those that stayed, they went, okay, look, we're going to tell you a bit further what happened here. And then some more dropped out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't like to be there either, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. Now, randomly, and we still don't really know why, um, mid-case, Catherine changed her plea um, from not guilty to guilty. Uh, and but for some reason still claims to take no responsibility for our actions. Maybe she was going for like insanity plea or something. Maybe. Well, naturally, she was found guilty, and she was sentenced to life in prison. And I believe currently she is the only Australian female to be given a life sentence without parole, and is still there today. She's still about, still alive. Aye, she is. Apparently, she is the um. The granny of the prison. She likes to bake. She likes to set up events for the prisoners and all sorts of stuff like that. She doesn't get into violent fights anymore. She's pretty content. She absolutely loves being in prison. Right. I wouldn't trust her baking, though. (laughs) No, I wouldn't trust her baking either. (laughs) She's like um, Mrs. Lovett almost. Yeah, literally. Yeah, genuinely. That's a perfect comparison. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's the story of Catherine Knight, who um, murdered, skinned, and cooked her lover. I like that you're speechless. That kept taking turns. When you think it was over, it just kept taking turns. Yeah, yeah. It was going one way, and then boom, left turn. Didn't expect it. You got skinned. That's that. We've had some fuck stories on, on, on this show, but mm. that one's up there. It's definitely up there. Like, we've talked about Mengele, but this is up there. I, I've noticed that the ones that are really always truly fucked, and when I say fuck, like, oh, how to describe it, like, very precise in what they do, I guess. Like, it's usually the women who are more unhinged. 
Like, the, the unhinged women are a lot scarier than the unhinged men. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, female criminals are scarier than male criminals. Like, men are um, impulsive. Like, they, they react on instincts yeah. and just in the moment. Women harbour shit. Like, they plan yeah, stuff I feel out. like men are a lot more predictable and kind of a bit more dumb with what they do, I guess. Yeah. Whereas yeah, women I see are a lot more, from. Um, they can be more vindictive and precise and they plan things meticulously and not, not, this is, this mm-hmm. is massive stereotypes, but. Oh, totally, totally. Well, obviously it works both ways as well, but yeah, it just seems I'm, I'm, women scare me a lot more. Yeah. All right. That was the story of Catherine Knight. Uh, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed it because that was brutal. That was fucked. Yeah. Um, Oh, I'm gonna let that hang for a bit. <laughs> uh, so, what do we have for next week? Do you have any idea yet? Uh, no. Who did I do last week? Capone. So it's gonna be a good person. You'll be a good person. Oh yeah. Um, it has to be a good person. Uh, no, no idea. So if anyone's got any ideas, hit me up. I will start writing it fairly soon though. So I'll try and get this episode out tonight. Maybe tomorrow. Probably tomorrow at the latest, and then we'll crack on. Yeah, apologies, guys, for this coming out a bit late. Obviously, we do try and get the episodes out on a Friday, um, but our work schedules have just been totally hectic, and we've not been able to get together at all. Yeah, when Ryan is Um, available, I'm not, and vice versa. (laughs) Yeah, so we're currently recording this on a Sunday evening. Yeah, Sunday. But yeah, Yeah. but yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Like, I'm sorry it's late, but it's definitely worth it. (laughs) Yeah, this story was great. I'm, I'm glad we waited and didn't rush it yeah um all right i hope you enjoyed that episode guys um make sure you follow us on all the socials you know you must know them by now if you follow them you follow them if you don't follow them that's fine um but yeah uh i appreciate more so if you could find us on whatever platform you are listening to us drop us a little review if you're able to a little five star review from like itunes and whatnot um yeah helps out the pod helps it grow and also it's just there as a little aside. If you ever feel like you want to help us as a channel, I was going to say channel, like, well, my <laughs> YouTube or something. Um, if you want to help the podcast, the show grow a bit more, uh, helping us with like getting new equipment, better audio stuff, all that kind of shenanigans. Um, we do the have a Kofi page. Oh, yes, artwork. If you guys listening, if any of you are like artists or creatives in any way, shape, or form, um, we are looking for uh, a new cover basically new some new artwork cover for the pod we've got one that has a bit of a backstory too that we kind of want to get rid of now so yeah if you are interested if you've been listening for a long time and you're creative and you think i could do a better job than that um god yeah <laughs> yeah me and Ryan are both we are, we're both creative people but in terms of drawing and artistic ability um, yeah, shit yeah. i think is the best word for it yeah it's probably a uh, creative way of saying it mm. Just don't use green, because as we all know, green is not a creative colour. Says who? What? Is it not? <laughs> Dude, I'm going to send you a link to something later. You need to watch it. Right, okay. Anyway, yeah, if you are creative and you want to have new cover art for us and you want to do that, like we have uh, a good friend of ours, Alex. He's the guy who did our intro and outro. If you guys want to help be part of the pod and give some cool artwork, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, head to our Kofi page, the www.ko-fi.com forward slash. That's what people do. Um, you can drop off little one-time donations, like you know, the equivalent of like a, a coffee or something in Starbucks, like I don't know, two pound or something. It all goes towards the pod, so that'll help big time. Lovely. Thank you very much for that. Um, all right then, guys, join us next week where we will be talking about someone good, someone nice someone nice Um, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you soon
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.